Sometimes our traditions are called into question by that um, because leadership isn't consulted and people are trying to control the way things are done and, and uh, they say this is the way we do it and uh, the reason why you don't do it here is because we don't do it that way here. You know, so you, you, you can't participate that way. Uh, I, I think about these things not because I want to establish more rules and regulations, but when I read this passage of Scripture, I am discovering that the early church didn't know what the rules and regulations were. And they're in the process of discovering what it is that God is doing that is so new and so dynamic and so exciting. And, and, and it's happening not just because of the leadership that's starting to do things, but as we read this passage today, it's happening because the people who are not even named are involved in what God is doing. And in the discovery of how does God interact with individuals to touch their lives and direct to relational is happening throughout whole communities that is so drastically different to the way things were before and they're discovering this newfound freedom of what it means that if I will only listen to and obey Jesus, it's going to have dramatic effects and effects that we didn't even think could happen. Just... I, I didn't grow up in a place where they went out and stood in the market square and in, 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 uh, on sidewalks or in fields and preach until I went to England. And I saw people standing on the streets preaching and I saw people walking away and I'm going, that's kind of crazy. And when they would say, you want to have a word? I would say, no, I'll pass out tracks. <laughs> I felt comfortable giving people tracks until one day when God started to speak to my heart that I needed to go down to the, to the market on market day and stand up and preach. And the changes that happened in my reluctance when I finally did it, I can remember standing outside an apartment complex in Romania after the wall, after the wall came down. And, and I'm, I'm standing there preaching and I said, if you want to receive Jesus, get down on your knees. And there must have been 150 people, all of them got on their knees, asking Jesus into their hearts. I would have never come to that place to have done that there if I hadn't started to learn to be obedient to Jesus in England. And we never know how God is going to start to move in our lives until we open our ears to hear and take the courage to take a step to do something that we have never done before, we've never seen it done before, we don't know whether it's right or wrong, we are listening and following the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And too often we lose the dynamic of that when we say it has to be done this way. So let's look at our scripture and see this morning just exactly what it was that God did that was so 
uh, dramatic, uh, beginning in Acts uh, chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. May the Lord add his blessing to these words. Now, just so that we get an idea, those are just a few Bible verses, and it looks like it's an historical account, right? And so uh, sometimes we take a look at history, and it doesn't come alive, and then we wonder, what has that got to do with us here? And so in order to help us just a little bit today, I'm going to show you uh, somewhat on this map here just what... Um, uh, just what we've got. If you'll, if you'll see, Jerusalem is just south. Um, uh, there's the Dead Sea going down from here, and Jerusalem is not on this map. And so Jerusalem is where Stephen was stoned. We read about that uh, several weeks ago. And when the stoning started, they started to attack all the people who were following Messiah Jesus. And here... We pick up the story. We've heard about Peter and how uh, he went to Caesarea, how he was in Joppa. Uh, we've read how Philip was up in, uh, in, in Samaria and then went down into the desert. And he had met with an Ethiopian. Caesarea is right here. And so we've had Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. But Jesus had said that will you so receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And here we see the first time where because of the persecution, some of these believers are leaving, and there were people who uh, were from Cyrene. Uh, that's over in North Africa. It's uh, if you go further west from Alexandria at the Nile Delta in Egypt, as you come into Libya, that's the area up on the Mediterranean coast uh, of the Mediterranean Sea where Cyrene is. And this is Cyprus. We just heard that there are people from Cyprus on this island. And then they, they are leaving 
from Jerusalem, and they're making their way to Phoenicia. Um, that's what it says here. It says, there rose, the people made their way to Phoenicia and to Cyprus, over here. So some must have taken a boat or something to get there. There were no airplanes. And others made their way up to Antioch, Antioch in Syria. Now, Antioch in Syria was the third largest city of the known world back then. And it's on a major trade route, which means that you've got people that are coming around the desert here. This is called the Fertile Crescent. It goes all the way around down to Ur of the Chaldees. And it's a very fertile area. And so that's where people are traveling. And so Antioch is right on the middle of that major road where there's a lot of people from all around the area that are coming. Now, the interesting thing about this particular story is that we have a group of people who are Jews that have discovered Jesus as the Messiah. And they say the Messiah has come. And there are others that said, no, that's not who Jesus is. He, he was a criminal because he was crucified. He was cursed on a cross. So you have Jews who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But all of them are Jews. And the people that are hearing the gospel are people who are already Jews and they're explaining to them, whether they're in Damascus or in Caesarea, they're sharing the gospel with those who know something about the Old Testament. However, when Peter comes to Caesarea, it's one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He's able to see that God is moving amongst the Gentiles. The folks who are leaving Jerusalem because of the persecution don't know about what Peter's doing. He has not given permission for anything. He made his way back to Jerusalem and had to explain himself because the other Christians there said, wait a minute, this is only for Jews. This is not for people who are not Jews. And now you've got people that are making their way without permission. They are simply following Jesus and they get up to Antioch and these are people of no name, no reputation. They are not the, the celebrities of the Christian faith. These are not great worship singers. These are people, all we know is that they came from other places and they were proselytes, they were Jews, and when they get to Antioch, they start telling Greeks, pagans, Romans, non-Jews about Jesus. They are breaking the rules. They are eating with people that they shouldn't be eating with because the food hasn't been separated for them. They are making a major change. They are sharing Jesus and the people who are hearing about this incredible love of God, this amazing love of God, are getting saved and they're baptizing them and they haven't got any rules or regulations. They don't know about how do you administer church or do you build a building or, or what do you have to do for sacraments. They have none of the direction. They don't know what do you do when people sin, what do you do for, for church discipline, what do you do for a constitution. None None of that is present. All the things that we often think make up a church are not even present because they don't know that they're actually building churches. All they're doing is following the leading 
of the Holy Spirit themselves. And the hand of the Lord is with them in the process of doing that. Isn't that incredible? I mean, we have no idea whether they were Methodists or Baptists or... (laughs) They didn't know. They were following the life. They were following Messiah Jesus. And the hand of the Lord... Do you know what that means? If the hand of the Lord is with them, they are seeing signs and wonders, miracles taking place through them. They're on a major trade route, which means that it's not just the people who are becoming Christians that are talking about what they have just experienced but it's being talked about because this is the best news story around and you don't have TV and you don't have telephones and you don't have any other means of communication where people have to talk to one another. The communication that's taking place between people is building fellowship and relationships that they're sitting there, whether they're for or against it, they're discussing it. It is the big talk of the city. You know, if somebody gets raised from the dead or somebody gets healed or somebody who is lame or blind is suddenly walking and seeing, the deaf are hearing and demons are being cast out, something is being talked about. It's not happening in secret anywhere. And as the tradesmen, whether they're saved or unsaved, make their way down back to Jerusalem. Mind you, This is not happening all in one day. These few verses here take time. You just saw on the map, you can see on the map how far it is to walk from Antioch down to Jerusalem. If from Caesarea to Joppa was two days, this is maybe ten. And so when the disciples hear that God is doing a major work up in Antioch, I mean, it's not... Jerusalem, it's not Judea, it's not Samaria. This is, this is getting out of control. This is getting out of the way that we do things. And, and who do we send up there to see if it's okay? <laughs> who can we trust to put into that situation? Well, there's Barnabas. This is, this is the third time Barnabas is mentioned. The first time was when he sold his land and gave it to the poor in Jerusalem. And his name was Joseph, and he was from Cyprus. And so they, they, they gave him a new name, which means the son of encouragement. And the, and the second time we see Barnabas is when, when Saul comes from Damascus to Jerusalem, he ends up telling Barnabas what had happened to him on the road to Damascus. And Barnabas says, Hey, guy, I, I got, we, you've got to share this with the other apostles. You come with me. And he opens the door for Saul to share his testimony with the other apostles. And he's received and accepted into the Christian community. So we know that Barnabas has a big heart of wanting to draw people in to experience not only a personal relationship with Jesus, but an interrelational experience with Jesus amongst the other people that are there. See, we don't live in this world in an isolated situation. 
We glean from one another. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We pray for one another. We, we build one another up. We overcome issues together. The togetherness is an important aspect. The fellowship is an important aspect of what the church is. The church is not a building, but it's the relationships between the people that gather there. Now, in this process, when Barnabas has heard the story of what God had told to Saul, that he's going to be my ambassador to kings and to Gentiles, when he gets up to Antioch and he sees what God is doing and he realizes this is not people dreaming things up, this is God at work. This is not people trying to perform perform or to be celebrities. We still don't know who they are, <laughs> but this, these are people who are following the leading of God's Spirit in their lives. And it's transforming a whole pagan city. And Barnabas sees that and goes, wow. You know what? This is exactly what God spoke to that Saul who's up in Tarsus. He says he needs to be a part of this. This is where he belongs. This is something that, that he needs to experience. And so he makes his way all the way from Antioch over to Tarsus. This is Tarsus here. And brings him back. That's another three weeks. And so when he gets back there with, 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 with uh, Saul and they sit down, they start to teach and to develop leaders and to develop the, uh, the ways of, of, of what God had been teaching them, what Jesus had taught them. And they start sharing that with all of these Gentile believers. They don't have a Jewish background, so they have to learn these things differently. They don't pray the Jewish prayers the way the Jews prayed. So you have to teach them the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's all, it's all different. They have to rethink everything in order to reach into the international and intercultural community that is Antioch. Think about this. How many different kinds of cultures exist just around this building? Well, we, we can start with a North African just across the street that runs that little shop right there, <laughs> who's a Muslim. Very different from us, right? Not to mention the Hispanics. And then it depends on where the Hispanics come from, whether they're from Chiapas in southern Mexico, or if they're from Guatemala, or if they're from Honduras or Ecuador. And everywhere that they come from is vastly different. Just because we think they speak Spanish, their Spanish is as different as our English is from down here up to New York. And you start to think about how different cultures exist right here. We've got an invasion of Californians. They think different <laughs> to, to people from North Carolina. They really do. They have, they have a different approach and a vision for life. And it's very different. If you sit down to imagine just for a minute 
the differences between the types of churches that exist where people feel comfortable here or not comfortable there, or they find this to be uh, different there. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus is moving amongst people to break down the barriers to say he is still the same loving God to people regardless of their skin color, regardless of their background, regardless of, of, their, of their financial status. God is God, and he loves his creation. And he doesn't have a problem with all these cultures and all these differences. He loves them in ways that they can experience his love and know that his love is real. This is the difference between building religion and building relationships. The relationship that we have with Jesus tears down the walls of separation, not just between me and God, but between me and you. The reconciliation that the Bible speaks about of being brought back together is not just me getting in a right relationship with God, having my sins forgiven, having Jesus come to dwell within me. It's the reconciliation between me and you. It's where the families have ended up in, in, in quarrels and, and all kinds of upset. When Jesus breaks through all of that, he restores the relationships with his forgiveness and restores the relationships with the love that he gives us to see things from his eyes, from his position. And his desire for both you and everybody else in your family, whether they know him or not, is that they spend their eternity with him. You see, there is a whole different understanding when we look at the world through the eyes of Jesus sitting in heaven, knowing what our destiny is, and then he wants to establish his kingdom on this earth. And it's not by building individual clubs. So we have a hunt club there. We have a fishing club there. We have a golf club over there. And then we have another club over there. And then we have the Methodist club here. And we have the Baptist club there. And the Presbyterian club over there. Not to mention whichever there No! Jesus is breaking down the barriers between us. Not so that we look at the differences, but that we see that we have become partakers of the divine nature. If you call God Almighty Father, you have just described your identity as a child of the living God. There is no difference between you calling God Father and somebody else down the street when he calls Abba Father, he's speaking to the same Father. And suddenly we, we have to look at whether the differences that we have are keeping us apart or whether they're drawing us together. See, the, the church is just discovering who it is in this particular passage. The, the church thinks it should be Jewish. It should abide by all the Jewish traditions and all the Jewish regulations and all the Jewish prayers and all the Jewish ways of doing things and this is the way we've got to live. And suddenly people of no name and no reputation 
break all the rules. <laughs> and somehow God says, that's great. I love it. <laughs> and God's up there just having a blast healing the sick and raising the dead and causing the blind to see and people who've been possessed to be set free. And all of a sudden we realize it's not something where we hold on to our grudges and we hold on to the way that we think is the right way to do things, but we begin to celebrate that God has broken through into people's lives. Think about this. One sinner repents on this earth, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's here in Nagaland, in, in Myanmar, or, or in, in Nigeria. It doesn't make any difference if it's in the Ukraine. But when one sinner repents, the angels in heaven start to rejoice. There is joy in heaven over one sinner who turns to Jesus. <laughs> it didn't say that you know, it's only this particular people group that is going. There, there aren't special places for people groups in heaven. <laughs> There's only a place in heaven for those who are the sons and daughters of the Most High. I, I begin to see something here as this begins to happen, the news the news is spreading abroad. Considerable numbers are brought to the Lord. And now we see what happens is that as God leads them not just to be a part. I mean, just think, God using you to pray for the sick. Or God using you to cast out a demon. Or God using you to share wisdom our knowledge with somebody. Can you imagine God using you to speak life to somebody who's hurting? Can you imagine God choosing you to be the one to reveal his great love to somebody else? Because that's what he's imagining. That's what he's wanting to do. That's exactly what he wants to do. He doesn't want you to be consumers who are sitting in front of a television watching another preacher preach some good message, he wants you to be the messenger who takes the good story to touch somebody else's life. That's what he wants. We don't have to have big names in order to be recognized to tell somebody about Jesus. Yesterday was our wedding anniversary, so my wife and I went out to have a meal together and the poor waitress, poor waitress, she's thinking that Jesus may be a spirit guide. And I'm sitting there going, no. Jad immediately says, no, no, he's not. I said, can I just pray a, a one-sentence prayer with you? And she says, yes. Grabbed hold of her elbow, and I said, Lord Jesus, just reveal yourself to her, the great love that you have for her. And she's shocked, you know, says, thank you. <laughs> But we have no idea what God's going to do because of that. We have no idea how God's going to use our interaction of touching people with the good news. And something here is happening that's changing the course of history. You see, when it says they were first called Christians, that little word, based on Christos, is the Greek word for Messiah. 
it was a negative term spoken by the people who did not understand what was happening to those people. They didn't see the personal relationship. They saw changes in people's lives, but they didn't understand that relation. They said, they're just the Messiahs. They're the people who follow the Messiah. They're the crazy people. These crazy Messiahs. I mean, look at them. They're forgiving people. They're putting things right in their lives. They're, they're paying back what they stole. They're, they're, I mean, who, who knew about that? I mean, you don't do things like that in our society in our day and age. What are they doing? <laughs> you see, the, the Messiah was not the name for a new movement. It was actually a derogatory term that the outsiders gave to the Greeks who had become the followers of a Jewish Messiah. We tend to think if you're a Christian, you must be a good person. <laughs> we don't use the term Christian in a derogatory sense. We put it up on a pedestal and then we have all kinds of things that we associate with, with what a Christian can or cannot do rather than looking at a relationship that a person has with Jesus. The struggles that they are overcoming, the issues that they're bringing before him, the way in which they're developing their relationships with one another, the way husbands and wives are being reconciled to one another, the way that the children are being raised differently. Something is happening when people start to follow Jesus. It's an entirely different, new way for the entire community that was following the life of Jesus. And they're in the process of learning how do we live this life. Can I be honest with you? It's the same question every single one of us when we come to know Jesus, when we ask him to take up residence in our lives, when we ask him to forgive us of our sins, it's not that we're looking for a ticket to heaven. We have entered into a new relationship with God that is going to affect all of our relationships. And we're going to see how God starts to establish his kingdom here in West Pender through you and me. That's what he's about. He wants to become visible and seen through the lives of the people who love him, even a fraction of the amount that he loves them. <laughs> See, it's, it's seeking the kingdom of God first. And then guess what? All these other things get to be added to us because we put God's kingdom first. The whole excitement of the early church was that they had to discover what was this life all about. And the same discovery is for you and for me when we begin to follow Jesus, listening to his voice, answering his call to be his child right where we are. It governs all of our relationships, all of our activities. It touches every aspect of our lives. When you struggle with somebody, when there's lack of forgiveness in your life, 
Do you really think that that reflects the life of Jesus? Who, while he's being sinned against, forgives the very ones who are sinning against him by killing him? See what I mean? It changes your whole perspective of having a life of steady forgiveness. It, it takes away my blaming God for things. It takes away my individualism of saying I'm the most important of all and, and I can just have God alone for me. No, you can't. You can't. You can't love Jesus and Jesus love you without sharing that love with others. You just can't. It's all part of the package of receiving Jesus. That's who, who you become. And the discovery of what that life is like is the joy of our journey when we receive Jesus. I, I love this, this passage here because it really does show me something about God's gifts. It shows me something about God's grace. And it certainly causes my heart to explode in much gratitude towards Him. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for all the incredible gifts that you give us. I mean, trying to want to take your job over, <laughs> who'd want that job? But when I see the way in which you, by your great mercy, begin to touch and direct people's lives, as they begin to hear your voice and follow you and do the things that you require of them and not the things that, that preachers require of them or other authority figures require of them, but they're doing the things you require of them. You put order, you put peace, you put rest, you put, you put hope into the whole meaning of the lives, the purpose of our lives becomes becomes very real to us. The moment that we begin to see that, oh Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see what a great thing you're doing, not just throughout the world, but that you're doing right here in our midst and that you want to continue to do throughout this area. Oh, Father, we ask that all of the churches round about are going to experience a revival, a touch of your spirit, something new as you begin to move anew and afresh throughout this community where people begin to talk to one another about who you are, that it starts to become the, the talk of the town. Throughout all this area, people can't stop talking about what God is doing amongst us. The hand of the Lord is with us, they say. Let it be so, Lord Jesus. Let it be so. Lift up our faith as we seek your face, O God, that we would see an outpouring of your Spirit throughout this whole community. That people light, that they would yield their lives to you. They would ask you to come in to their lives and take control. They'd see what a mess they've done of it by themselves and they would call upon you, the one who provides the best kind of help. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that that would be an incredible move that's going to touch 
every street, every corner, every house throughout this whole community. Oh, Lord, I yearn to see the day when every church is bursting at the seams and people are standing outside, every single building looking to hear what God is saying to us in the here and now. Let us become ambassadors similar to those no-name people that moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. And regardless of how people call us, whatever name they want to call us, Lord, let us continue to bring you all our praise and glory. We ask it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.